I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and we're going to ask you to turn to the book of Romans. And in just a moment, we're going to see Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. I want to bring a four-message series on the subject of baptism. Now you say, Pastor Ray, how can you talk four Sundays about baptism? Well, because there's a lot of baptism in the New Testament. And today we're going to see what it means to be baptized in Jesus. All right? And then next Sunday, we're going to get to see what it means to be baptized in fire or the baptism of fire. That's a message about the day of Pentecost. And then we're going to see the third Sunday, the baptism of Jesus. Today, baptism in Jesus. And on the two Sundays from today, the third Sunday of this series, the baptism of Jesus. And then finally, we're going to see what a believer's baptism is all about. So four Sundays on baptism. I hope you're following along. And if you have the YouVersion app on your uh, iPad or your smartphone, you can follow along. If you have the church app, uh, you can find it that way and take notes and email them to yourself. This, this series of four messages is obviously, I always want a Sunday morning to be a motivational message, but this is a message about doctrine, that scary, <clears throat> boring word, doctrine. But doctrine is very, very exciting. And I will say this to you, of all the people in the world who have some kind of a Christian understanding, if anybody needs to know more about their doctrine than any other group, it's probably Baptist. Baptists need to know doctrine. So today, we're going to talk about what it means to be baptized in Jesus. When Texas pastor uh, Jim Dennison was in college, he served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while there, he attended a small church. At one of the church's worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Jesus Christ and to be baptized. During the service, Dennison also noticed that there was some worn luggage leaning against the wall inside of the church structure. And so he asked the pastor later, he said, why was the luggage leaning against the wall during the service? And here's what the pastor said. He pointed to the girl that had been baptized, and he said, her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never come home again. So she brought her luggage to her baptism. Here is the reality. There are places in the world where matters of the Christian life and ordinances of the church seem to have far more meaning than they do in the church in America. We have trivialized so much concerning the things of God that the important aspects or the the importancy of certain aspects of our walk as believers fails to have the meaning that God intended. And I honestly think that baptism is one of those matters. I honestly think that we think baptism to be 
just a matter of choice, decision, do I want to do it, do I not want to do it, kind of like do I add another bathroom to the house I'm building or do I stay with two or three bathrooms. We almost make it like that. I'm sure there's some of you who are truly born again, yet you have never been baptized since you were born again. You have never been baptized since you were saved. I hope that during the course of this brief series, you'll think about that. And you'll think about your testimony of baptism. You'll think, what does it mean to me to be baptized? Baptism is important. In fact, the baptism that we will consider today is crucial if you're going to go to heaven. The baptism that we're going to consider today is crucial if you see God at the end of this life. Now you say, Pastor Ray, I thought in the Baptist church we did not believe in baptismal regeneration. In other words, that we're regenerated by baptism, that we're born again by baptism. And I would say to you that that is mostly true, but it's not completely true. There is a baptism that is necessary for salvation. And if you're not baptized in this manner, you are not truly born again. Let me show you what I mean. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. I think I should read that again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen to this. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It's up there. Read that. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. 
I would think that almost all of you have heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I would think that almost everybody here has heard about being baptized by the Holy Spirit. I would also say that probably most of us here today And most people who may be watching by live streaming do not really know what being baptized by the Holy Spirit is. Most of what is said about that baptism is a suggestion that it is something in addition to salvation. Something that if you're going to have it, you've got to add it to your salvation. However, our text tells us that if we do not have the Spirit, we are not in Christ. Our text says, if you do not have the Spirit of God in your life, then you're not in Jesus Christ, which means you're not saved. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that which puts us into the body of Christ. That's why I titled the message today, Baptized in Jesus, or baptized into the body of Christ. Now we're going to look at our text today in three parts. The first part, condemnation conquered. We're going to see what it means for the condemnation that comes to all men to be conquered. Condemnation is something that can come on many levels. To be condemned is to have a judgment against you. There may be people in your life who condemn you for a decision you made or a position you take. There may be people in your life who say, well, I I have judged you negatively because of the relationship you have with this other person or your political persuasion or whatever it may be. There could be. Uh, We can be formally condemned by a judge or a jury. If we go on trial and we face a judge or face a jury and they determine that we are guilty, they are, in essence, condemning us. There are many ways to face condemnation. The worst condemnation of all is to be condemned by God. That's the absolute worst. You can't even bring any condemnation anywhere close to the level of how difficult that is. When God condemns you, it's an eternal condemnation. Just as eternal life is forever, so is eternal condemnation. And make no mistake, that condemnation is to a place called hell described as the lake of fire, something you don't hear of a lot these days, something that's been relegated to just everyday conversation at work and on the field and and in various circles, but hell is a very real place. And those who are condemned go to hell for an eternity. Our text tells us that condemnation has been conquered, and it tells us how condemnation has been conquered. You should see this in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, here is a message to the believers. If you're a believer, if you're a person that says, I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know that I've come to a place in my life where I saw myself as a sinner before God, and I realized that Jesus Christ had paid the price for my sin and believed it, and repented of my sins, turned from my sins, and trusted Christ only, then here are some things that are true about your life. First of all, you are free from condemnation. Free from it. You have no condemnation. Those who are in Christ, the saved, the born again, do not need to fear that condemnation will ever come to their life or that condemnation will come to them after this life. Now, the lost person is guaranteed that condemnation, but the person who is born again by the, uh, and, and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> that person is free from, condem- from condemnation. Now, what a horrible thought. What a horrible thought that a lost person would live all of his or her life without the comfort and presence of God in their lives through Christ Jesus and still die and go to an eternal condemnation. What a terrible thing to have a a terrible life without the comfort of God in your life and when you die still go to further condemnation. Now the saved are free from this. And you're not saved by class. You're not saved by citizenship of country. You're not saved by your economic position or your education. You're saved by the grace of God. The grace of God is what saves us. The saved are free from this condemnation. We have no concern about it because we are eternally kept safe by the love and sacrifice are Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ. And you know how we're kept that way? We're kept that way by the spirit of life. That's the way we're kept. Verse 2 says, "For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death." Now in our lives, there are two possibilities as it relates to this. Living in the law of the spirit of life or dying in the law of sin and death. Now, even on its surface, it sounds much better to live by the law of the spirit of life than to live by the law of sin and death. And the word death spoken of in verse 2 is a word that means the second death or eternal death. It means separation from God never to be able to encounter God again. After this life, never to be able to ask God to save you. Never again being able to say to to God, please grant my request. Never again. 
because you have experienced something known as the second death. And in doing so, you have been separated from God. To have the spirit of life, on the other hand, is to never be separated from God. Never, ever to be separated. The spirit of God actually places a seal on us to keep us saved and secure until we are at home in the presence of God. Here's where you can see that in Ephesians 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you are a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit has done several things for you. One of the things that the Holy Spirit of God has done is to place a seal on you until the day of redemption. You are saved never to be lost again, because the Bible says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You say, well, I had condemnation on my life, but then I sinned, and I lost my relationship or I had a position in life where there was no condemnation, but I sinned and I lost that relationship to God, well, then I guess the question would be this. What happened to the seal of the Holy Spirit on you? Was the seal of the Holy Spirit cracked or broken or inferior or weak when it was first placed on your life when you were saved? The Bible says you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, there are a lot of seals that can be broken, but what is it about us individually that can break a seal set by God, by the Holy Spirit? We then, that is the saved, are free from condemnation by the Spirit of life, now watch this, through Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, the reason there is no condemnation for the saved is not because of the goodness of our lives. The reason there is no condemnation for the saved is not because of the justness of our character. The reason there is no condemnation for the saved is because Jesus made it possible for a condemnation that was certain to be eradicated by the more powerful sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Which do you think is stronger, the blood of Christ or the presence of sin? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all unrighteousness, the Bible says. That's the powerful. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. All of us know John 3.16. We see it on cameras at football games. We see it in soccer stadiums and baseball stadiums. We see it everywhere. Everybody knows John 3.16, and what a great verse. Everybody should know John 3.16, but here's what they often fail to do. Realize that there are other verses that follow John 3.16. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Verse 18. 
For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. All justification, avoidance of condemnation, all of it comes only by one way, through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Jesus has given us the the ability, the desire, uh, the victory of no condemnation. And it is through Jesus Christ. For For what purpose? Well, to live in the Spirit. You know, too many of us, <clears throat> you, ever, you ever played Monopoly? Most, most everybody here has played Monopoly. There are a lot of things you want. You know, you, you want Boardwalk and Park Place. You don't want Mediterranean Avenue <clears throat> or Baltic. There's other things. You, you, you always want a get-out-of-jail-free card. <clears throat> you always want that. You know, a lot of people treat salvation as a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's the way they treat it. Oh, they're saved like one of the three little pigs by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. And they're so glad that they're not going to go to hell. And I'm going to tell you this, that was my motivation for getting saved when I was eight years old. I didn't want to go to hell. But I learned as I grew and walked with the Lord, I learned that there was motivation to live a life that was different than it would have been had I never met Jesus. In verse 4 of our text, it says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, here it is, two paths to choose, a walk in the flesh or a walk in the Spirit. Do we need a lot of explanation to know the difference in this? I don't think that we do. I don't think there's a lot to be explained here. There are two questions. First, do you have the spirit of life so that you're able to walk in the spirit? Here's the second question. Having the spirit of life within you, do you walk in the spirit of life? And this question, this begs the question of how do we know that we are walking in the spirit? You say, Pastor Ray, How do I know that I'm walking in the Spirit of God? I know that I'm saved, and I pray that you all do. But if you don't, if there's somebody here or two or three who says, you know, when you talk about that, I'm always uncertain because I don't know for sure. Here's what we're going to do. At the close of the service today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to an invitation and to allow one of us here to take the Bible and share with you how you can receive Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God into your life. But the question now is, if I know that I'm saved, how do I know that I'm walking in the Spirit? And here's the reason. Because your considerations change. There's a big change in your life. Verse 5, for those who walk according to the flesh set their minds 
on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. Now, when I was a boy, my daddy used to say, boy, mind your mother. Mind your mother. If after church on Sunday, I would go home with one of my friends for Sunday afternoon to their house, my daddy would say, now you mind them. You mind what they say. That was a big word in our house. You mind. You mind your mother. You mind those people. You mind adults. You mind your teacher. Minding was a big part of life. Our text tells us that living the Christian life is to mind things of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it is indeed a choice of the mind. The spiritual life is not all mental, but it's not without its mental application. The spiritual life is not mind over matter. The spiritual life is not uh, thinking, uh, 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 I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and I can. The spiritual life is not the power of positive thinking. And could I tell you this? I'm for the power of positive thinking. I'm for I think I can, I think I can. I'm I'm for all of that. But that is not the mindset of the spiritual life. The spiritual life is a a choice that the mind makes to walk in a different way than it would walk if it chose the flesh. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, you uh, may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians 4 and verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So much of life, including the Christian life, is about the choices that we make, including the choices of our minds, the way that we think our mindset, our direction in our mind. It is impossible to walk in the Spirit with our mind set on things of the flesh. Yet there are a lot of Christians who try to live the Christian life that way. No matter what area of the flesh, no matter what it may be, if you have your mind set on it, whether it's lust or jealousy bitterness, pride, conflict, it really doesn't matter. The mind of the flesh disrupts the walk of the Spirit. And we have to know that. We have to understand that. And before deciding to walk in the flesh, we should consider the consequences of the choice. There is a difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. And the choice has consequences. Verse 6 of our text, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Now, if you are that born-again believer who cannot find peace in your life, you say, I know that I'm saved, I absolutely know that I'm saved, then why can't you find peace in your life? The Bible says that as a believer, you should have peace that passes understanding. Now, if you can't have peace in your life, why? Well, it could be due to your mindset. You could have determined in your mind, well, I'm going to think like this, walk like this, act like this, and, and so on. That could be the reason. Look, the, the problem is in our minds. Is it jealousy? Is it bitterness? <clears throat> is it pride? Is it the spirit of fear? Is it conflict? Whatever it is. The problem with this set of the mind is that it is hostile to God. To set our minds on the flesh is hostility to the things of God, unsubmissive to Him, and it cannot please Him. Now, is that the way you want to relate to God? Is that the way you want to walk your Christian walk? God, I'm going to walk in a way that is hostile to you, that is unsubmissive to you, that cannot possibly please you. God, I want to thank you for saving me, but now that I'm saved, I want to tell you that I'm setting myself against you. I'm not going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to walk in the flesh. I'm going to walk in a way that you will not like. How can we pray when we have made our mindset that we're not going to serve God? How can we even pray? Think about that while you consider what it means to have the mind of the Spirit. Verse 6 says, the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Think of the life and peace. That's the mind of the Spirit. Based on that, would you say that you have the mind of the flesh or the mind of the Spirit? Would you say, I think in such a way in my life that I live in perfect peace because I have the mind of the Spirit of God? Do you? Uh, Sometimes people who cannot live in peace are unable to do so because they've never found peace. They've never known Jesus Christ as their Savior. Other people fail to live in peace, and here's the reason, because they, they took out the fire insurance of salvation, but they have determined in their mind that they're going to live unsubmissive, hostile, set against God by having the mind of the flesh, thinking just on things of the flesh. And when you think like that, you cannot have <clears throat> peace. So through Jesus Condemnation is conquered. Considerations change. They have to change. And here's the third and final thing. Christianity is complete. Now, this kind of takes us, in fact, this directly takes us back to the premise that I was starting with. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, what is that talking about? Here it is. That is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is exactly 
what it's talking about. Verse 9 tells us that the presence of the Holy Spirit is proof of salvation. The absence of the Holy Spirit is proof of our lost condition. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives at the point of our salvation. And we are literally baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into the body of Christ. I'm not going to demonstrate it today, but think about it along these terms. When you see someone baptized and and they are immersed in the water and they are brought up out of the water, to a great measure, it's a picture not only of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but of what the Holy Spirit of God has done for them at the point of salvation. He placed them into the body of Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in at the point of salvation. Now, here are some texts that will show you this, and I'm sure you've read these before, but you didn't think of it in connection with being baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And here it is right here, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. What'd that say? That said by one spirit, all people, doesn't matter the nationality, doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter uh, the economic condition, doesn't matter educational uh, strata, it doesn't matter age, that in Christ we are baptized by the spirit into one body. Here's Romans 6 and verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Oh, my goodness. That's saying that we are baptized into Christ, and we are. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 27. For as many of you, for many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, what is that baptism? Can you today come to me as a lost individual and say, Pastor Ray, I want to be in Christ. I say, hold that thought right there. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you up to the baptistry, and I'm going to walk you into that baptistry. You're going to be lost as you can be, unsaved, condemned already, going to hell for an eternity. And I, Randy Ray, the great and mighty Oz, I am going to take you and I'm going to place you into that water, a lost, condemned individual. And when I bring you up out of that water, you're going to be on your way to heaven because of what I did. I want to tell you something. If salvation came that way, I'd charge for it. I would. I mean, I'd just, I'd set me up, a, I'd go to Dope Campbell Stadium, and I'd charge for that. There's two ways to make money at Dope Campbell Stadium right now. One would be to charge for baptism. The other would be to coach the offensive line. Sorry. <clears throat> baptism by water doesn't save you. But Pastor Ray, the whole message today is about baptism saving you. 
Well, baptism does save you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit saves you. That's how you're saved. You're saved by being placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God immerses you. The Holy Spirit of God places you. You are in Christ because the Holy Spirit has placed you in the body of Christ. The question is never how much of the Spirit does the believer have. The question is always how much of the believer does the Spirit have. Do we walk in the Spirit or do we walk in the flesh? If we walk in the flesh, we're not walking in the Spirit. So we are not living the Spirit-filled life. We have been baptized into one body of Christ, but we live in the body of flesh. What does that yield? Well, we read it earlier in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the question then is this. Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God? And the answer to that comes in whether or not you have been born again. It is not church membership. It can't be church membership. If it were church membership, we'd set up kiosk at the mall and save people by getting their name, address, and phone number and making them members of our church. It can't be living a good life. Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it can't be living a good life. Look, it it can't be being better than the bad people you know. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but I know a lot of people who are a lot worse than me. Well, I do too. Actually, I know some people who are worse than me. Not a lot. It can't be being better than the bad people you know or being better than the good people you know. It is the personal acknowledgement that you are a sinner before God. Coming, Coming to Him through Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation and by faith placing your trust in Jesus Christ only. That's what it means to be born again to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not hypothetical. It's a real question. Are you born again? Are you saved? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven of all your sins, baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into the body of Christ? Are you? Now, if, if and, and, and oftentimes when a preacher asks this, because I, I know there's a hesitancy. There's somebody that says, oh, I think so. I hope so. <clears throat> and there are people that say, man, I wish you wouldn't ask that. I want to tell you, it's, it's a small step of faith from that consternation to confidence in Jesus Christ. It's placing your faith in Him and the Holy Spirit of God placing you in the body of Christ and sealing you until you see Jesus face to face. You say, Pastor Ray, I can tell you 
that without any hesitation, I know for sure that I am saved. Then let me ask you this. Are you living the spirit life? Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said that there is a way to know whether or not we're saved. Here's what he said. He said, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Here's the best way to be recognized by your fruit. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Wake up every day and understand that the Holy Spirit of God is alive and well in your life. Determine on that day to feed things of the flesh and not things of the Spirit. Excuse me, things of the Spirit, not things of the flesh. For instance, if you have a, a real problem with jealousy, determine on that day that you're going to be happy for people that you'd normally be jealous of. Determine, you know what, today I'm going to be happy that they're doing so well. I'm going to be happy that that thing, good thing happened in their lives. I'm going to be happy for them. I'm not going to say or think, oh, I wish that happened to me. Because today I'm going to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, and I'm going to feed the Spirit and not the flesh. I'm going to be happy for people. Or if you have a tendency in the flesh toward anger, today you're going to learn in your spiritual person to call on the Holy Spirit of God, keep me from being angry. Keep me from saying things I shouldn't say, feeling things I shouldn't feel, having heartburn that I shouldn't have. Keep me from being angry. To walk in the Spirit is to have a different kind of a set in our minds so that our, <clears throat> the outcome of our lives will be different. And Jesus said, you can tell by the fruit of somebody's life. Let me close with this. During the days <clears throat> of the Great Depression, there was a sheep ranch that was owned by a man named Yates. How about that, Richard? Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay the principal and the interest on the mortgage. So he was in danger of losing his ranch. And with little money for the clothes and food to take care of his family, like a lot of other people during that day, he had to live on some kind of a government subsidy. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep, he was troubled because he didn't know how he would pay his bills. Then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area. They told him, hey, there might be oil underneath your land. And they asked for permission to drill a wildcat well. He signed the lease contract and allowed them to drill the wildcat well. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge reserve of oil. Huge. 
The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. The very first well, 80,000. Many subsequent wells were more than twice that size. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of the wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day, 30 years after the discovery. Mr. Yates, he owned it all. The day he purchased that piece of land, he had received something known as the oil and mineral rights. Yet, he had been living on government relief. He was a multi-multi-millionaire during days of the Depression, but he was living in poverty. What was the problem? The problem was that he didn't know the oil was there and that he owned it all. How hard do I have to work to make that application? I preach this today because I wanted you to know what you have in Jesus Christ. You have the power of the Holy Spirit of God available to you as your choice to leave things of the flesh and live by the Spirit. So my question today, my questions are two. Do you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Are you walking by the Spirit? Have you set your mind to walk by the Spirit? Can we bow our heads, please, and close our eyes? I want to give an invitation this morning. It's a very simple invitation. As always, if there's someone here who believes this is where God would have you to serve and you'd like to join this church because you believe this is where God would have you to be, then we certainly invite you to come. I'll be standing at the front Jesse and Tommy will also be standing at the front, and it will be our pleasure, our absolute pleasure to share with you or have someone share with you what it means to be a member of North Florida Baptist Church. You can come by statement of faith in baptism. You can come by transfer from another uh, church if you believe God is leading you here to this church. Thirdly, you can Present yourself as a born-again believer who says, I want to be baptized, and I want to be a part of that church. So that's the first part of the invitation. Here's the second part. The second part is, for those people who know that you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you know that you're born again, the invitation for you is to come and kneel at this altar and say, God, help me to change my mind today, to change my mind from dwelling on things of the flesh and begin to think on things of the Spirit. Help me today to think about matters of the Spirit and not matters of the flesh. And when I think on things of the flesh, may I combat it, Lord, with matters of the Spirit by the choices in my mind. So if you want to be a member of the church, if you want to come and kneel at this altar and say, 
I want to walk by the Spirit that I have in my life. Here's the third thing. The third thing is for anyone who is here today saying this, I am not sure that I have the Holy Spirit of God in my life. I am not sure that there has been that time in my life when I have been born again. I invite you to come. And if you'll see me again, Jesse or Tommy, we will have someone share with you from the Bible how to take the step of faith to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, be baptized into Jesus by the Holy Spirit of God, and walk out of here today assured that you are saved, born again. That's the invitation. At what point will you come? Will you come for church membership? Will you come because you want to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit, so you're going to come and kneel at this altar, and and you're going to say, God, I want to walk and live in the Spirit? Or will you come because you're uncertain of eternity and you want to know for sure that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God, born again into God's family? Let's stand for prayer.